So last night we celebrated a feast, wonderful feast. For those of you who weren't there, you missed a good one. And one of the things that we said while we're in here is that there's a rabbinic teaching that says that the time from Yom Teruah to Yom Kippur are the days of all, Yom Noraim, and they say the gates are open, which is to say they're open for repentance. And even though it's a rabbinic teaching, I think it's very wise. Let me give you a scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Whether we're at home or far away, we make our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether for good or for evil. So the Jews regard this as the beginning of a time of judgment. Yeshua says there is going to be a judgment, and this is a good time to prepare yourself for it. Now, what you need to do is get a realistic appreciation of where you are. Then you need to repent, and then you need to set up a plan for next year. What do you hope to accomplish, both for yourself and for the kingdom? Because you've got value, and your value is not just personal, but it's also corporate. So where you are, how do you figure that out? Well, we've been talking about that all during the month of Elul. And one hopes that you spend some time introspecting prayer and so forth, and you begin to have an idea of where you are. For those of you who haven't, I will suggest that you look for patterns in your life. Everybody has them. And this is going to sound weird, but for those of you who are married, there's a cliche. You always do X. You know, it goes both ways. You'll recognize that pattern. And what I'm saying to you is not necessarily that what, whatever your spouse says you always do is necessarily something you need to fix, although that's not a bad idea. But look at yourself, and if there are things that you always fall into or you repeatedly fall into, that's a clue. That's a clue that there's a problem there. And especially if it's something that you fall into that you would rather not fall into. That's an even bigger clue. So look at your life from that perspective. Are there things that recur in your life that you would really rather didn't? Those are all clues. Quirks. Everybody got quirks. And again, look at your quirks. Are these quirks, in fact, something about you that you really don't like but it's become such a part of you and such a habit that you don't think about it. I know I've got them. So as you look at yourself, look at quirks, patterns, those kinds of things, and use them as clues to figure out what you need to change. As you figure that out, one of the things that I would suggest very strongly you do is you quit lying to yourself. We all do it, okay? This isn't so bad. Everybody else does it. This is the way society is. We all have these little lies that we tell ourselves to justify the things that we are doing that we really, if we stop and look at them, would rather not do. So it's a big deal to stop lying to yourself. And the other thing you need to do is stop listening to the lies that our society tells. Two different things, okay? Lies you tell yourself and then the lies that society tells about you. 
or about us or about humanity. And our society right now is deep, deep, deep into lies and deception. You've got whole industries that are devoted to propagation of lies. In fact, I was reading an article by Dennis Prager. Some of you know him. He does Prager University and so forth, a very bright guy. And this article said, the left's moral compass is not broken. The left does not have a moral compass. In other words, in order for it to be broken, you've got to have one. And you all laugh and feel snarky about this, but one of the things about Marxism, and I will quote uh, from Marx via Prager, right can never be higher than the economic structure of society and the cultural development thereby determined. We therefore reject every attempt to impose on us any moral dogma whatsoever as an eternal, ultimate, and forever immutable moral law. What that says in plain English, instead of 19th century German speak, is the only thing that matters is power and our relation to each other and power structures in the world. And any absolute moral standard, scripture, we reject. We say that's not binding on us. And what you see now is our society obviously has rejected that. That's very obvious in our society right now. Anybody ever seen the bumper sticker, keep your dogma off my karma? There's all sorts of stuff like that floating around in our society right now to the point that much of our society, in fact, denies reality. The fact that something is real doesn't bother them at all because they have their attitudes that they want to promulgate. And our whole society is saturated with that. There's sort of an old question, does a fish know that it's wet? Well, probably not. I mean, not that a fish has got a lot of processing power anyway, but if it had some processing power, wet is just life. We think of wet because we're normally dry. So you get in the water, you, oh, I'm wet. That isn't the thing for a fish, and it's the same with us. A lot of the lies that our society tells are just part of the atmosphere, and we don't recognize them, and we don't think about them. This is a time to change that. That's one of the things that I'm suggesting that you do. And let me give you again a couple of scriptures. John 8. So Yeshua said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the goal of lies regardless of whether they're ones you tell yourself or the ones the society insists that you get involved in, is slavery. In other words, nobody tells you a lie for a good reason. And again, I'm not talking about the little social lubricant that we all do. In other words, it's really not nice to say, God, she's wearing that dress? You don't need to say that. You just don't need to say that. But what I'm talking about are lies. And lies are designed to enslave. 
And so if you believe a lie, in some way you're going to be enslaved. For example, is the transsexual movement. What that is, is the insane insisting that you join them in their insanity. These people are insane. They're weirdos. I'm sorry, but they are. And what they're doing is they are insisting that you come into their fantasy and play along. That's a lie. And what it does is it leads to enslavement. It leads to their enslavement because they are insisting that you all reinforce their insanity, which means they can't get free because everybody's reinforcing it. And in a sense, it makes you unfree. So the truth will set you free, but you've got to tell yourself the truth. And the basis of truth is Scripture. That's your rock. That's your anchor. And you look at everything from the position of Scripture, and if it doesn't match, you look at it with real suspicion. And what I'm saying is most of our society rejects that explicitly. And they say that Scripture is fairy tales, not binding on me. You ever heard the expression, it's true for you but not for me? That's absurd. And what's going on is a rejection of the concept of truth. And it's a rejection of the concept of truth in search of power and enslavement. This little phrase, oh, that's true for you but not for me, that's again part of the water that we're swimming in today. People say it and it just sort of rolls past you and you don't look at them, what kind of a fruitcake are you? It's either true or it's not. So understand that the water we're swimming in right now is polluted. Recognize that. So, teshuva, Hebrew word means return or turn around. Teshuva or repentance is not plan B. It is built into God's universe. Yeshua was going to the cross before the creation. This is not an afterthought. This is not plan B. This is not, oh my word, look what's happened down there. I guess we've got to figure something out. I'm suggesting God did not have that conversation with anybody. The way humans are designed to learn is you are designed to try things, make mistakes, stumble, skin your knees up, learn from your mistake, change, and move on and do better. That's how we learn. For those of you who have children and you've raised little infants, you recognize it instantly. That's the way people learn. A successful person is not someone who has never failed. A successful person is someone who has failed a lot and has learned from each failure and moved on. So the fact that you've got sin in your life, me too, is not a disqualifier. No matter how horrible the sin is, or no matter how horrible people have led you to believe your sin is, and you can never be forgiven for that, that's nonsense. As I'm fond of saying, my dad once said, oh, I've done some stuff I never expect to be forgiven for. And my answer to that was, what makes you so special? Seriously. Forgiveness is always available. And this is the time to seek it. But in order to seek forgiveness, you've got to admit that you've got a problem. 
you've got to admit that you've sinned. Because if you won't admit that you've sinned, then forgiveness is not available to you. That's the way it works. Now, before you do that, the other thing that you've got to do is forgive your brother. Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you are bringing your gift to the altar and you've got something against your brother, leave your gift, go reconcile yourself with your brother, and then come back. Because God will use whatever measure you use to judge you. That was the Matthew 7 quote. So whatever your standards are, God is going to look at you and say, okay, those are your standards, huh? Well, all right, let's see how you measure up to your own standards. And I will tell you, I don't measure up very well to my own standards. And I suspect probably some of you don't either. So next step, if you will, is if you got stuff outstanding and your brother needs to forgive you or you need to forgive your brother, it's a good time to get that sorted out. And this is a time, at least in this community, the Jewish messianic community, when that's expected. So if you go to somebody and say, I need to be forgiven, or I need to forgive you, or I need to do something, that's not something that people are going to look at you weird about. So now, you got the decks cleared. Forgiven your brother. You've looked at yourself in the light of Scripture, and you've decided there's some stuff here that needs to be cleaned up. So what are the mechanics of repentance? This is just mechanical. And by the way, this is from Maimonides, and it's absolutely correct. First thing you got to do is quit sinning. First thing you got to do is stop it, whatever it is. And everybody here has a different it. And most of us have a series of its, but they're different for each of us. So you got to stop. Then you got to stop trying to justify what you do. When I do it, it isn't so bad. Not a big deal. And that goes under the category of stopping lying to yourself. When you start justifying, and everybody has got a world-class justifier. And boy, whenever I do something scumming, my justifier kicks into high gear and just goes to town to justify what I've done. Recognize when your justifier kicks in that you're lying to yourself. That's a big clue. When you start justifying, you know you're lying to yourself. So stop it. And then, obviously, use the same standard for your brother as you use for yourself. And in fact, use your own standards for yourself. Don't be a hypocrite. Now, the other thing, just in general is don't use someone else's behavior as your standard. I'm not so bad. Look at him. Well, I may be doing this, but look at her. Let me tell you something really important. God looks at you as an individual. He will judge you as an individual. You want to be judged as an individual... Because if you're not judged as an individual, he doesn't love you as an individual. It's really important. We tend to sort of want to get into a crowd, and we've got this whole crowd of sinners around us, and we're all going in the same direction. And boy, we as sheep really feel good in the middle of a flock. 
But understand that God doesn't look at you as a flock. He looks at you as an individual. Remember, everybody says you want a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The thing most of the Sunday church says all the time, which is correct, by the way. I'm I'm not casting aspersions. If you have a personal relationship, he looks at you as an individual. And if that's the case, he will judge you as an individual, not as the member of a flock. That's very important because what we all tend to do is we tend to find a flock that's going the way we want to go and get in the middle of them so we feel, you know, we got a crowd around us. Feels good, feels secure. Once you have figured out what you want to get rid of and what you need to confess, confess your sin. Say it out loud. Don't mumble. And then explicitly ask to be forgiven. It's not enough simply to stop doing the sin. That's a good start. It's important, but it's only a start. The next thing you've got to do is you've got to turn to the one that you have wronged, which in this case is God, and you've got to say, I have done wrong, this is my sin, please forgive me. And once you have done that, resolve not to do it again. So three steps. Stop doing your sin, confess your sin, and then resolve not to do it again. Now, I don't know about you, but I've done that a lot of times, and things happen and so forth, and you get yourself into a place again where you don't want to. And the tendency is, oh no, here I've been forgiven, and I'm going back to be forgiven again. I mean, he's going to look at me like, What's your problem? You're supposed to clean that up. That's how you look at yourself. That is not how God looks at you. If you do it again, do it all over again. Stop. Confess. And resolve not to do it again. This may take several iterations. That's the process of changing who you are. And that takes a long time. Two things. One, don't console yourself by saying, well, he'll forgive me again if I do it again, so I might as well enjoy it and do it again. That's the wrong attitude. Don't do that. But the other part of that is, if you do find yourself in that same position again, stop, confess, ask for forgiveness, and resolve not to do it again. You can do it multiple times, but don't use that as an excuse to say, oh, okay, cool, I'll do this, and then we'll go through the repentance again, and it'll be okay. That's hypocrisy. That doesn't work. Okay, now, once you're sort of getting yourself cleaned up, then what you want to do is turn to the nation. Now, you remember I said God judges you as an individual, not as a flock. However, God does judge nations. And the example I always use for that is Daniel. Daniel was a righteous man. Daniel is one of two people in Scripture, three if you count Yeshua, about whom nothing negative is said. Daniel is a righteous man. Daniel grew up in Babylon because the nation around him had descended into unrighteousness and sin, and God finally said, I've had it up to here with your people, out. And he takes them off to Babylon, and he took Daniel along with everybody else. 
So God does judge nations. And if you're paying attention to 2020, have we had a plague of locusts yet? Yeah. The point is, if you look at 2020, there's something going on. And we'll talk in a minute about revival in Washington, which the Halpins are going to. But the point is, the church needs to lead the way to revival. That's our job. And it takes more than just praying for the nation. That's a good start. you got to do that. But you also got to get out there and be active. you got to talk to people. you got to help people understand that the lies that they are swimming in are deadly. Because... One of the things that Yeshua said is, I have come to set the captives free. Captives of what? Captives of sin. Captives of Satan. Captives of all of this because these people, some of them are just sheep. And they have found a flock that's going in a direction that they find congenial. They haven't really chosen to be evil. They're just sort of going along. And when it says, set the captives free, what you need to do is reach into that flock and you need to rescue some of them and get them out of that flock and get them into true freedom. There's two reasons for that, by the way. One is love of your brother. The other is self-defense. So if you can't do it because you love your brother, do it because of self-defense. Because what you don't want to do is be a Daniel in Babylon. And that's where we're headed. So the results of freeing a captive are good regardless of what your motive is. And if you can move yourself to love for some of these, then it's hard. I agree. It's very hard. Do it for that. But if you can't move yourself to love them, do it for self-defense because it's really important right now. One of the things that Kay and I have been praying about for quite a while when we pray together at night is wake your church up, Father. Get your church back to doing what your church is designed to do because much of the church has sort of slid off into this relativism. I mean, you've got churches with rainbow flags out in front of them and all sorts of stuff. Directly contrary to Scripture. And they have all sorts of really good justifications of why they do that. Their justifiers are just as good as yours are. And so they've got really good reasons. But understand that the anchor of Scripture doesn't allow that. The anchor of Scripture is you've got to behave the way God demands you behave. And as I say, getting captives out of that environment is wonderful. Do it out of love or do it out of self-defense, but do it. One of the things that I'm going to suggest is we're a small group. And that's okay. I was very encouraged last night. We had wonderful feast, lots of folks here. And so even though we're small, understand that God is in the business of taking the very little that we bring to him and multiplying it. So be encouraged. Do what you're supposed to do. 
get your own decks clean and then turn around and start to help other people get free and trust that the little bit that you bring to God you will multiply. Et ta